I've tried to make sure that as I develop uh, the global operations at Portsmouth and previously, I always go back to the the core, and it's about people. So we're dealing with people at the end of the day, and we've got to you know treat people the way you would like to be treated. Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on this latest episode of Destiny Benders. Today, our guest is Bobby Mehta the Associate Pro-Vice-Chancellor Global Engagement at the University of Portsmouth. Bobby, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to join you. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next half an hour, 45 minutes or so. Well, thank you, Bobby, for making time to meet with us today. So let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey as to how you got to where you are today? Well, it's a it's a long story. Uh, so I, I, I usually like to probably start at the beginning. You know, I'm born in the UK, um, and I have parents who are originally from uh, Africa. So my uh, dad is born in Kenya in Mombasa, and my mom is born in Uganda in Kampala. And their parents immigrated from the Indian subcontinent. So the uh, grandparents are originally from uh, India and Pakistan. So they immigrated to East Africa. Yeah, my parents then moved from East Africa to the UK, and I was born in the UK. So I, I grew up in London. And, uh, you know, throughout my sort of uh, life growing up, I had lots of stories, you know, about this fantastic heritage that I'd come from, a rich cultural background, uh, parents that grew up in East Africa, and all the stories associated with uh, them growing up, and, you know, the, the grandparents' stories as well of their time in uh, India and, and Pakistan, and the reasons they migrated and moved on. And a lot of that migration was to do with economics and their work. So the grandparents moved from India to Africa because there was more opportunities, etc. Then they became business people in their own rights, working and, and doing work in, in East Africa. And then again, parents moved here, uh, probably because of the instability at the time. So my mom actually came across as a refugee uh, during the Idi Amin, Idi Amin uh, yeah. times in, in uh, East Africa and uh, my dad had come across a, a little bit uh, earlier than that, but again, it was uh, for the work uh, aspect that he came to to work in the UK. So I grew up with this sort of, wow, you know, you've got all these stories to share and, you know, uh, from climbing the mango trees to uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the road trip from Nairobi to Mombasa. And I was thinking, wow, and, you know, we used to go and sit by the lighthouse in Mombasa and we used to, you know, all these uh, sort of stories while I'm growing up in, in the UK in the 1980s, lots of transformation going on in the UK, but mm -hmm. not anything of that scale or, or that, you know, rich uh, 
enjoyment. Nothing comparable. Yeah, nothing, nothing comparable. comparable. Yeah. And, you know, when you were in a city, uh, London, uh, growing up, you haven't even really seen the, the beach uh, as such. <laughs> and, and you're hearing your dad telling you about all these stories and, 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 and mom as well. And I grew up with that sort of background. And, uh, you know, I, I went to school, went off to university, and uh, I studied at the University of Luton, which is now University of Bedfordshire. And, uh, you know, that was probably the first time I'd left London properly. Yeah, so studying at Bedfordshire. And, you know, I, I throughout my sort of schooling uh, life, I hadn't really worked out what I wanted to do. Early, you know, parents, uh, particularly parents from Indian subcontinent backgrounds, uh, they want you to, to be a doctor. We want you to be a doctor, a dentist. Or, an engineer. You know, right. Engineer or one of these sort of careers. And, you know, it wasn't really me, it, you know. I can't stand the sight of blood. So that was any of those medical stuff, things going out the window completely. So the, the thing I started to work out was when I started doing my A-levels is definitely didn't want to do those traditional subjects. So I did my A-levels in uh, media studies, psychology and sociology. And I think it was when I did psychology and sociology that I kind of started to get the feel that I enjoyed working with people. And, you know, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. So then randomly, I, I started looking at university choices. I chose travel and tourism. I thought, you know, one of the things, having grown up and heard all these stories, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to get a job where you could travel the world and see everything and see all these things that I've only grown up dreaming about, never had the opportunity to see myself. So that was the, the sort of thinking there. And then as I progressed through my A-levels and on then on to deciding which university to go to, I kind of decided actually... I want to go into sort of working with people and I don't want to lose that travel and tourism. And then I decided I'd go into marketing and travel and tourism. So I ended up going to the University of Bedfordshire, did my degree in marketing and tourism. So and did you by that time have an idea of what, what kind of career you wanted to pursue? No, or was so, it just so, because you're interested in the marketing and the travel tourism. That, that, that's it. That, that's all it was. In that first year, that's all it was. I was walking down Park Street, uh, which is the, one of the main streets in, in uh, Luton. Uh, and I saw this uh, poster outside a door and it said, looking for clearing ambassadors. What does that mean? What, what, I don't understand. So, I was so, going to say, maybe we should yeah. interrupt and clarify for <laughs> yeah, our US-based so, listeners. Yeah, so in, in the UK, when uh, A-level results come out, we go into a period called clearing. It's a period where students may who may not have achieved their grades or may have not got into the university they chose to go to can go through the clearing process to actually get into another university or change university. Or if you've changed your mind about what you wanted to study, that's the opportunity where you get to clear it all up and okay. you go through what they call clearing. And it, it can be anything. It can be change of course. It can be change of subject area. It can be change of university. And you contact this central team of people and they mm. will help you. So it's like a, an extension of the admissions team. I see. Uh, working in a call center. But I applied and it sounded like an interesting role. It was it was temporary. It was during the summer. So it fitted quite well. And I went for the interview. Uh, that all went well. And then I got a call. They said, we'd like to take you on as one of our clearing people working on the, the hotline. I got on this uh, call line. And, you know, we all had our headsets on and, you know, all the, it was a buzz in the room. 
everyone was there waiting for the first call and the phone started ringing probably just after eight o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden, you know, there was something that I could feel it, you know, as an energy. You're talking to this person and they're, they're just a, an individual at the other end of the phone. And I was there a year ago because I went through exactly the same process and I could relate to that whole experience. And so, I, I, you know, the empathy I felt for the student on the other end of the phone was was huge. And I always been brought up to treat people the way you want to be treated. I was treating them the way I would have liked to be treated, the way I was treated. And uh, I went for the motions and answered the questions. And so the end, look, I'm really happy. You've met your grades, nothing to worry about. And then I would go the extra mile. And I would say, look, why don't you come down to the Luton and have a look around, you know, come and have a, a look around and I'll show you and I'll show you some of the things that you can see here. I used to see some of those students would take up that offer. They'd come down with their parents and they're re- you know, really uncertain. And then I showed them around and I'd say, this is this, this is this. And I'd share my student experience with them, you know, what it was like to be a student here and how... But that wasn't part of the job description, right? The, the role you had didn't require it? Was it, it something it, that you just felt like doing? It, it didn't necessarily require it, but it was there as a possibility that you can then show people around and stuff like that. So we, we were enabled to be able to do things like that. So yeah, I, I just took all those opportunities. And, and, and for me, it was the difference it was making to those individuals. And then not only did you see them at that point and how your advice was helping them, but the fact that they then turned up and they enrolled and you saw them on campus. So, you know, in my second year, I could see those guys and, you know, some of them would remember you and wave. And and you think, hold on, I have changed someone's life, you know, and you could see from that moment where you spoke to them on the phone, where they came to the campus and you showed them around to them being a student. And just in that small transaction, and I was like, wow, this is... I, I, this is something I'd like to do. The guy that had advised me, he he was, you know, full of life, full. He was a really big character, a really nice person. He used to do all the UCAS fairs around the the, the UK, and I, I I used to see him do all the open days. So you know, you see him at the UCAS fair. Then when you come to the open day, he's there again. It's like he's he's the face of the the university. So I started looking at him. I, I, actually this is a job he's actually this is this is right. a job that's like that's well, getting wow. paid to do this yeah paid to do so you get paid to change people's life. i said well at, at that time he was uh i think he was born in the uk but he was indian punjabi heritage mm-hmm. uh so his parents were in, originally from india and punjab and he became a little bit of a, a role model for me mm-hmm. and i looked up to him and thought actually, I want to do this job. I want That's to awesome. do, what, do what he's doing. As I went into my second year, I spoke to the head of admissions at the time and I said, look, is there any possibility that I could get some experience in marketing? And he said, yeah, no, no problem. Just come along and, you know, you can start helping with open days. You can start helping with, we've got, so next thing I know, I'm in the marketing department doing data entry. As my second year is progressing, one day I'd finished what I was doing and they said, we've got some time, do you, would you like, you know, to do some more, a couple more hours, because he's an hourly paid job as a student ambassador. So I said, yeah, of course, I'm here. Well, what else is there to do? They said, well, there's this thing called the international office, uh, which is this little cupboard over here. Um, 
<laughs> and there's some people sitting in there and they need you to do something. So I went into this little office and uh, there were two ladies in that office. Uh, one was, her name was Terry and the other lady was uh, Lydia. Uh, and this was the international office. I said, how, um, I've been asked to come and help you. I, yes, we need you to pack boxes. I was like, boxes? Oh, yeah, no. I, 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 boxes, anything. I'll do anything. No, no problem. Okay. We need you to pack boxes to send to the British Council. And, and also we've got fairs happening in India, Kenya, blah, blah, blah. And we've got all these boxes, all these prospectuses. We need them packed. And I was like, yeah, no problem. What do I do? They've got the brown tape, got, you know, <laughs> side taping all these boxes up. And so I must have done a good job because she was she was overly impressed. And I must have done a better job than anyone else that had done it previously. <laughs> Before I knew it, I was in the international office on a weekly basis doing freight because they had a, such a small team. And, you know, it was a growing uh, part of uh, the work that the university was doing. But, you know, typically not the resources coming at the right time. So, you know, using uh, student ambassadors to, to help supplement and support the work. And I was loving it. I was literally loving it because for me, I was working with people. I was working with people and I was making a difference and changing people's lives, you know. And I could see the impact, you know. I, I could see I helped answer this question and that student survived here. And, you know, the, the international students, the, the, the amount of work that we would do with them and support them, for the offer letters and you know back then it was faxes coming in and phone calls and you know it was really not as sophisticated as operations as we have today but it, it was brilliant and you could see the difference this was making and the life-changing experiences you know I, all of a sudden I was talking to people from around the world and uh, often they were shouting at me from around the world. Um, <laughs> Where's that? Where's those offer letters? We've been waiting. Where is the DHL parcel? Give us this, give us that. You know, all of a sudden I, I had this network of people that I was engaging with and it was like, wow, this is so great. So safe to say that for a kid from London who grew up listening to stories of his parents climbing up a mango tree in Kenya, now you're transformed into this role and this job you're doing where you're literally speaking to students and parents probably from around the world and changing their lives. That must have been really impactful for you. Looking back at it now, and even as I talk to you now, I can feel the sort of goosebumps. But at the time, I I, I didn't realize it. I didn't know. it was. I was just riding the wave. I was ultra lucky, I feel, in many ways, and fortunate to have seen that poster, to have asked a question, to have had a person there that was open-minded enough to reciprocate and, and offer an opportunity. So, you know, I, I felt really lucky in so many uh, different ways, but that's only in hindsight, you know, when you look back. If you would have asked me at the time, the one day you will be the Associate Pro Vice Chancellor of Global Engagement, I would have laughed at you. And, you know, the conversations at the time, unfortunately, weren't encouraging either. If you remember the person I mentioned to you, who was my sort of role model, and I spoke to him and I said, look, I kind of want a career in this space. And he said to me, don't do it. Oh, really? Yeah, don't do it. He said that the experience that he had had was negative. He found that there wasn't the career progression uh, opportunities available because of the, the way society and unfortunately HE was at that time. You know, we talk about diversity and inclusiveness and, you know, all of those agendas today. But it's it's been a struggle. It's not, not necessarily been easy. And it's colleagues like him who were probably at the brunt of that. Um, but clearly you stuck with it. 
Yeah, I mean, you've yeah. obviously done it in spite of all of that. So what made you want to stay? What motivated you to stay and so, continue in that path? So I knew, I, I had, the, I heard everything that he'd said. I heard what others had told me as well. And I, I still believed that regardless of that, I wanted to persevere with it. I wanted to go forward. I wanted to make a difference. I could see me doing something in this area. So I talked again to the director or the head of the international office at the time. And I spoke to him and I said, look, this is the type of thing I want to do, etc." And he said, look, we would take you on here. We would keep you on. But at the, this point in time, the university is going for a lot of change. We are not ready to take on more staff. So we can't, I can't offer you anything here. He said, well, what could I offer you to stay? And I said, well, look, if you pay for me to do my postgraduate qualification and you maybe give me an extra two pounds an hour on my student ambassador contract, then I'll stay for another year. And he made it happen. All that took for two more pounds, right? Two, two more pounds an hour. And they gave me the opportunity to do my postgrad. So I started doing my postgraduate. I was working uh, full-time, 50, sometimes 50 hours a week. So it, during that year as well, what they also did is they gave me the opportunity to travel. So that was part of the experience that I hadn't had. The director, the head of the international office agreed is that they would organize at least a couple of trips, which I could go on, accompanying others just to get that experience of actually being out there. So my first trip during that year was actually to Sweden, to Stockholm. And then I got to travel to East Africa. Wow, that's amazing. Serendipity. So, there you go. I so mean, life he, throws these things at you. So I got to travel to East Africa. So I said, I'm going to travel by myself. So I, I wanted to do it on my own. So I flew with Kenya Airways out to uh, Nairobi, arrived in Nairobi, culture shock completely. Wow, where am I? And I ended up in Nairobi, then uh, had an absolutely fantastic experience on my first trip. And the director or the head of East Africa at the time, uh, he said to me that, trust me, most international officers don't have this type of experience that you're having on your first trip. We had a, we had a ball. Uh, we worked hard. We got to meet lots of people, etc. Then we flew to Kampala and I arrived in my mum's home country and my uncle was still living in Kampala. So I got to go to see him. He took us around and, you know, we went to see uh, the source of the Nile. And, you know, so me and my boss got to see some of these things and got to meet my cousins and my aunt. And, you know, it was it was an experience that I could have only dreamt of. And, you know, actually meeting the students firsthand. Uh, we, we attended the British Council exhibition, for example, in Uganda. It, it was like a duck to water. I just knew what I was doing. I just fitted in. I was able to share stories. I was able to relate to the people in that country. I wasn't the same skin color. I wasn't, I wasn't born there, I, but my mom's born here. And... I, I eat that food at home. So I eat matoki, you know, so a uh, Ugandan traditional dish. My mom makes that at home. And, you know, I know some words in Swahili. And and I was like, wow. So I knew. I knew this was definitely the, the field that I was going to stay in. Yeah, the power of being able to connect with people like oh. that at the most basic levels, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think one of the biggest aspects of our jobs that we do. And, you know, then I came back and I started to buy for jobs. And then I came to a crossroad. So I'd applied uh, to do a PhD and I applied in the private sector as well. So I got an interview at Johnson & Johnson. I got an interview at 
in Wales, a university called the University of Glamorgan. It's now called University of South Wales. And I got uh, an interview for the PhD studentship. So I went for all three interviews. Johnson & Johnson, I fell over, I think, at the first or second hurdle. The studentship I got offered, and I got offered the job at South Wales as an international officer. In the end, I decided I could come back to a PhD at a later date and actually let me pursue the career. Let's get some actual experience. It's a good opportunity. So I went off to Wales. I've never been to Wales. I've been to East Africa, but I hadn't been to Wales. <laughs> so I took the job. I started to work in the, in the University of Glamorgan. So my first interaction with my boss after the interview uh, was he, he gave me a call and he said, I booked your tickets and your hotels and the British Council fairs in India, and you're going in three weeks' time. So, I, you know, I was literally thrown in the deep end and I went out to India and I remember on that first trip, I never felt as lonely as I did at that moment in time. You know, so I remember landing up in Chennai mm. and I was again in another sort of culture shock, all the noise and the buzz and the people and everyone rushing around. And, and actually, I wasn't different. Because I was, I looked like an Indian, so people treated me like an Indian, you know. So, whereas when I went to Africa and when I was in Stockholm, I looked like a foreigner and therefore the, the welcome and everything. So, I actually felt quite lonely. I, I, I was on a three week trip of India and the university had nothing established in India whatsoever. We didn't have, you know, credit cards or mobile phones or any of these types of things. So, I was going around really finding my feet on so many different levels. And I remember halfway through the trip, I was in Chandigarh and I broke down in tears. I was, I was thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I'm in the middle of Chandigarh. Why am I doing this? My family and friends and everything else is the other side of the world. Did you at that point start to think about your decision? You know, the question your choice should I have done my PhD or tried to get another job somewhere like Johnson and Johnson or did you go back into it maybe with a renewed vigor and I I think just going back to what you said while, while you uh, answered that question but one of the things you said before was that you grew up listening to your parents stories and I grew up listening to my parents' stories. Those stories are what drove me to have the experience. I wanted to experience things the way my parents had. I wanted to be able to regale my children with the stories that my parents, you know, told me as I was growing up. Was that something that kind of drove you in a way? And, and when you're at these crossroads, should I have made a different decision or should I continue? Did you think about the stories your parents told you and, and were they something that pushed you to keep going or not at all? A hundred percent. I think uh, those stories, uh, they were, you know, inspirational. Uh, they inspired me and I wanted to see what my parents had seen. I wanted to experience what they had experienced because I've heard it, I, but I, I'd never tasted it. I'd never touched it, you know, and, and for me, that, that, that was definitely an important part. But would it have been make or break at those types of crossroads what happened to me was there must be an easier way. Actually sitting by yourself in a hotel in the middle of Chandigarh on a three-week relentless visit. But you know what, Bobby, it's ironic because I'm sitting here listening to you going, your parents are from India originally, or at least rather your heritage is from India. And the place where you have probably one of the most defining moments of your life is in India yeah. on that trip. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? There must be easier ways. Should I, should I do this? And, and at some, for some reason, I, I found the energy, the, the drive, just to keep going, yeah. just to keep going. As that year developed, all of a sudden, I hit another crossroad because my boss kept on asking me about numbers. And then I kind of then sort of clocked, actually, I'm on a three-year contract because I, I kind of thought, I didn't have this concept that I was on a fixed-term contract, which was part of a business case that my boss had put together. And that if we didn't hit these targets, we may not have jobs here for very much longer. And he was very driven and very sales orientated because he came from a private sector background and he knew his stuff uh, really well. And, you know, we had targets, we had these boards with green, orange cards and these cards represented people and, you know, they would move from being plain cards to orange cards because now they paid the deposit and then they moved to green because they got a visa. And I was oh, like, no. Oh, yes. And oh, like, God. That's I horrible. Like, I was like, That's the business side of international education, right? I mean, right. you got to pay for all of this. Well, exactly. So and that's when it dawned on me that actually this is a business. And this is right. But I didn't I didn't come into it for the business. I came in. Because I enjoyed working with people and advising them and changing their lives and making that difference. Yeah, it's a bit of a shock when that realizes. I think all of us in international education who come into it in the same way you did, Bobby, when that it's a business realization hits us, the same similar sort of thing to me. It's a shock. And you're just like, okay. Well, now I know this. I've got to go with it, but stay true to myself and stay true to why I'm doing this. Exactly. It was it was a business. And, you know, it was a, that sort of time where international really started to professionalize itself. And and I kind of accepted it. I, I kind of accepted it, exactly what you said, uh, Jess, in the, in the sense that I knew that, okay, I accept that this is a business, but I could still see the people on that side of it, you know, and the people are actually the ones that we are making a huge difference to. Very quickly within my first year of being at South Wales, I met my wife on on a train uh, when I was traveling back to Wales. And within 11 months, we got married. Uh, which is another story for another podcast. Uh, that, that whole <laughs> not uh, for this topic. Not topic. For this topic. But you know, that, that, that's that's a, a remake of a Hindi film. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we could we could do lots of dancing and all sorts of that. But yeah, so I met my wife. I've always been, you know, very family orientated. So, and you know what it's like whereas we work and we live and we spend so much time away from the family. I often we spend time talking about the family and, you know, you do. Uh, so lots of people around the world know so much about my family. So if you ever looked at my LinkedIn uh, posts and things and, and people say to me, well, why do you post pictures of your family? That's LinkedIn. But actually my family live with my work and my work lives with my family, you know, and they're very much part of it. And the nature of international because of the relationships you have with people, et cetera, the family is very much part of the work. So, you know, often whenever you go anywhere, in, in, in particularly in international culture, it's how are you, how's the family? You know, that's the two uh, things. And people are interested and they want to learn about you and you want to learn about them. And, you know, we, you learn about each other's family 
the, the interaction between us and and, and work and, and the family has, has been really close. And and I think some people probably look at some of the things I do and uh, my LinkedIn posts and the, the point of thing, he's weird. Why does he post pictures of his family? But that's, that's the reason. No, I, I think it's refreshing, yeah, Bobby. Yeah. I always enjoy yeah. seeing your posts. Yeah. And all these years that, so we, we met each other probably, gosh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago now, but, and I moved away, but I still feel like I know you quite well, even though in reality, I, this is the first time I'm actually speaking to you in nearly 10 years. The last <laughs> and that's time why we we're met doing up, this podcast. I, yes. Yeah. Right. Because we still really want to understand and know more about the people that we work exactly, with. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I still feel like I know a little bit about you, like I know the Liverpool connection because of your LinkedIn post. Yeah. So. Uh, but Bobby, I want to go back to something you said earlier, right? You had a harsh realization that there's a numbers, there's a dark side to the moon in terms of numbers. And it's not just the touchy feely, let me help you. So fast forward. Right. In your current role, you're heading up a lot of the initiatives at Portsmouth. How do you reconcile that? And how have you continued to your experiences obviously have changed your bent your destiny, set you on a path where you are today. And in the process, you've helped so many students and changed so many lives. How do you continue to reconcile the fact that it has two sides to the coin, especially in your current role? Yeah. So I, I kind of along the the career kind of recognize that it is a business and I'm doing, I'm actually helping people in, in different ways. So the work we do in international does have an income generation aspect to it. And with that income generation, that helps the university expand. It helps us to do more as a university, employ more people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So actually that income contribution is actually helping the university do more good things, impact locally. So if you look at a lot of the, the things uh, universities talk about is the, the, the economic contribution they make locally. So we make a significant contribution there. In terms of going back to the, the root and branch of the the work we do and the way we do it i've tried to make sure that as i develop uh the global operations at portsmouth and previously i always go back to the the the, the core and it's about people and you know I, what i i try to uh, get across and i hope my if any of my team are listening that they they this rings true is it's that we're dealing with people at the end of the day and we've got to you know treat people the way you would like to be treated mm-hmm. those those core principles have always been true and then you know as i've progressed i found and i'm really lucky at portsmouth that they've allowed me to have some freedom with the international agenda so it's enabled me to actually do things within the community to actually reach out to people so what so some of the things we've done in portsmouth we've we work with the local community so we don't just go internationally we work with local community groups within portsmouth and we help to connect portsmouth as a city with those community groups we then help and utilize those community groups and their links back in their home countries to create a triangle 
where we're all working together. So we're bringing that community together. So it's, again, it goes back to why I started, which was working with people. So I don't have to go, if I want to work with uh, somebody from Bangladesh, I don't have to go to Bangladesh. We've got lots of Bangladeshi people in Portsmouth who we work with. We have a fantastic relationship where we do a lot of local work in, in that respect. So we're, we're bringing the city together, businesses together, etc. And then we're going to Bangladesh and working together there. And we're doing that in so many different aspects. But then, you know, it's also then about all the lessons I learned from all the different managers that I've had over the years and the fantastic opportunities that they gave me. I learned from their strengths, I learned from their weaknesses, and then tried to amplify that through the way I work with the teams uh, and the people uh, that we work with uh, here in Portsmouth. And that's the that's the basic way uh, the yeah, approach I've well. taken. That's brilliant. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey with us. We're going to wrap up with a series of quick fire questions, just random questions. Jess, you want to kick it off? I'll go ahead and kick it off. So yes, this is something we do every episode, Bobby. Girish and I will both shoot you some questions. Let's start off with the first one. This is one I haven't asked yet. When you were little, when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Doctor, dentist, optician. You really yeah. wanted to be that or your parents wanted you to be that? I wanted to make them happy. Uh, ah, okay. Bobby, you said a little while ago about your story about meeting your wife was a Bollywood movie. So who would you like to play you in the Bollywood movie? Shao Kahn. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That was very quick. That was very quick. That was. Yeah, I like him. He's good. You thought about it. Probably. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bobby, how about this? When you were on your work trips, what three items do you always take with you? Aside from the obvious, like a laptop and so on. So I, I would have, if you wouldn't have taken those options away, I would have definitely gone mobile phone, iPad, and laptop but uh, more recently prior to lockdown something uh, I started to do was a pair of trainers uh, I would not have normally taken uh, running shoes uh, with me uh, but I've taken you know go to the gym because I think looking after the health side of things is important and uh, you know it's very easy uh, as, uh, as I'm sure some some people listeners will be able to relate to put on weight in this job uh, as you eat your way around the world. Uh, and I, I do enjoy my food. So yeah, trainers is, is probably the additional item, but... Fair enough. Well, last question. You did talk about eating your way around the world. What is your favorite dish? Anything in China. Uh, my wife will be laughing if she hears me say this, but I love Chinese uh, food. It was, it's, it's another story. I'm, I'm full of stories, unfortunately. But... Uh, when I was first going to China for the first time, I was told by a colleague uh, that traveled to China that I need to learn how to use chopsticks. And I didn't know how to use chopsticks. And I was petrified. And I was thinking, what am I going to do if I can't eat chopsticks? And I went to China and food was not a problem in any shape or form. I enjoyed every minute of it. And as my colleagues who work in the China office will testify, I, I do enjoy uh, eating and, and spending time with uh, colleagues around China. So nothing's a challenge, really, in, in that yeah. respect. I hear you about eating your way around the world. That's one of the reasons why I'm in this business, to be honest with you. But again, thank you so much. I, you know, Like I said, I learned a lot. And I hope it gave you an opportunity to just reminisce about your own Sure journey. did. 
it sure right. did. For, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not often you get a, a, to take a, some time out to have that thought space. So yeah, really appreciate that as well. You've been listening to the Destiny Benders podcast. Join us next week. We speak with Derek Alex, the Director of International Admissions at the University of Houston in Texas. Texas.